Amen. All right, check this out. One day, this lady, she was a, a Christian lady, by the way, and she was surprised by a burglar in her kitchen who was already loaded down with the things he's going to steal from her. She just barged right in on it, right? And to make matters worse, she, she had no weapon, right? And she's all alone. And, and the only thing she could think of doing was to quote scripture, right? And so she held up a hand. She goes, Acts 238, Acts 238. Well, just a burglar, he, he quaked in fear, uh, and he literally froze to the point where she was actually able to get to the phone and, and call 911. In fact, when the police arrived, the burglar, he was still there, frozen in the same place. And the police officers, they were very much surprised that a woman all alone with, with no weapon could actually capture such an imposing-looking burglar. And so when the police officers asked the woman, she says, ma'am, how did you do this? And the Christian woman replied, simple, I quoted scripture. So the officer, he turned to the burglar and says, well, what was it about the scripture that had such an effect on you? And the burglar replied, scripture? What scripture? I thought she said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> now, did that lady benefit just a little from knowing her Bible? All right, just a little bit. God works in mysterious ways. Okay. And, uh, but apparently that other guy, he paid a heavy price for not knowing his, right? Right. And unfortunately, folks, the trend in the American church is he is not alone. As ironic as this might sound, the one book that tells us that it's not only hello wrong to steal, but who tells us who God is, is sitting on bookshelves collecting dust in virtually every home in America, as we saw. Yeah, the truth's out there, all right. It's right here under our noses collecting dust. It's called the Bible. But the problem is hardly anybody will read it. And unfortunately, the trend is that even includes Christians. And it's because of this self-imposed ignorance of God we're doing it ourselves. It's right there. But it's because of the self-imposed ignorance of God that comes from not studying the Bible that the lives of, listen, not just non-Christians, but now the lives of Christians are filled with just as many questions and just as much pain as the rest of the world. And we're now living and seeing, I believe, a horrible trend in the church where we have churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists, right? Oh, we say we believe in God. Of course, hey, we're Christians. You got to answer yes on that one, Right? Of course we say we believe in God, but half the times if we're honest by our lips and our lives, we're acting like God's not even around him, okay? As we've been seeing, folks, this is not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God because they're watching us, okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study on, hello, the character of God, okay? The character of God. Now, so far we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God, just the basic core issue, hello, God is real, right? Not make-believe, not opiate for the masses. God is real. We need to receive that by faith, but certainly God meets us in our doubting Thomas attitude, and he gives us tons of evidence logically uh, that he is real. Now, the last time we saw, the second thing is that God is personal, or i.e., he is intimate. And there we saw, if we truly understand that God is intimate, even though he's independent, he doesn't need us, okay? He's huge, he's immense, and yet we still have this personal relationship with him. It will forever change your life. If you really understand that, okay? And last time we only saw the first thing that it will change in your life, and it will change how you pray. If you guys recall there, okay? And we saw that when we realize that God is intimate, he's, i.e., with us wherever we go, okay? And we have the privilege to pray, i.e., communicate to him anywhere we go, then you cannot continue to pray this way with the repetition of pretty phrases. Oh, Lord, thy, thou, thee, thy. If you really talk like that, go for it. But you don't. God's right. You don't talk to that. Anybody else? Why are you doing that to God? What are we doing? A, a marathon of words. You just hurry and bleh, barf it out and get it over with. You got stuff to do. What? This is God. This is the creator of the universe you're talking to. Why would you hurry that up? Right? Enjoy it. Right? It's a relationship. A fantastic formula. Remember that? I can only talk to God in this. Step one, step two. If I violate those orders, oh, I'm going to start all over again. What? 
We don't need a formula to talk to people, right? And then finally, we saw a shot in the dark, acting like God's not there when, hello, he's omnipresent. He's with us wherever we go, okay? But the second thing I believe, if we understand the intimacy of God, he is with us wherever we go, the big theological term, again, is omnipresent, okay, is it is going to change, folks, how you sing. You ever wonder why we always start off with singing? That's just what we do. Whoever said that, Mickey Mouse or whoever that was. Uh, no, there's a reason why we Christians come together and we don't just listen to the Bible. We always have a habit of singing. That's right. And let's take a look at that reason why. It's in the Bible. Shocker. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's take a look there. Ephesians chapter 5. If you guys want to go ahead and turn there, let's find out what is this singing thing? Why do churches, why do Christians always seem to gather around and sing? Okay. And not only that, we're going to see the motive. When we, when we do sing, how are you supposed to do it? Okay, in the eyes of a relationship. Galatians, Ephesians, let's take a look there as you turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 15 through 19 as Paul talks to uh, the Ephesian church there. But here's what he says in verse 15. Be very careful then, Paul says, how you what? Live. Okay, not as unwise, but as what? Wise. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is an easy one. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to what? Debauchery. Don't do that. That's not wise. What good is that? He says, instead, you want to be filled with something? Be filled with what? The Spirit of God. Okay? Well, how does that happen? Well, here's one way. Speak to one another with what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Notice there's different genres, right? As we're going to see, the purpose of music in the church is supposed to be, I don't care if it's uh, whatever genre it is, number one, it needs to be about Jesus Christ, and when we sing it, it needs to be sung from the heart, right? We get all hung up on styles, and that's not the issue. It's psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music to your heart to who? The Lord, okay, is the whole purpose that he says there in that text of music, okay? And according to our text, if you and I are going to be wise Christians, Paul says we shouldn't be, if you will, to use the term, we shouldn't be going around as Christians living, getting high on liquor, okay? If, to use the vernacular, if you want to get high on something, who do you get high on? Jesus Christ, okay? And one of the ways, apparently, I didn't say it, God did here, that we, if you will, are filled with the Spirit of God is when we, what? Sing, and it's not just sing, but sing from the heart to who? To Jesus, okay? And I know that sounds basic, but that's the key word there, from the heart, right? I think many times we Christians, we go, we stand up when you're supposed to stand up, sit down when you're supposed to sit down, do this, flip through that, turn this, whatever, but we're not doing it from the heart. And the whole time, God is watching all this. Every time we go to a church service, folks, and we sing a hymn or a contemporary song or spiritual song, whatever the style is, okay, it is to be sung as a listen from the heart to Jesus, if you will, a love song to him. Now, the problem with this is what's going on in the church today, much of the music is just flat out wrong. I mean, it's totally wrong, all self-centered, all messed up. And to help us with our first illustration, to look at wrong worship, this is the bad kind, no do. Turn to somebody and say, no do. No do, okay? We're going to take a look at wrong worship. All right, skit number one. I will sing of your love on Sundays. Only sing of your love on Sundays. I will sing of your love on Sundays. And this feeling is gone by Monday. 
worship live from Vegas that's right and uh, hopefully that's your last gig but anyway that's right you guys did a good job <laughs> wow uh, now here's the whole point that would be funny if unfortunately what folks if it wasn't so true okay how many times let's be honest right as if God doesn't know he's omnipresent he's intimate how many times do we do that when it's quote time to sing in a church service okay are we really singing to the uh, Lord Jesus is it really from the heart are we really singing about him I surrendered some what? I exalt me? What are we doing this for? Okay. And uh, the purpose of church music, folks, is not for our personal entertainment. It is to be a vehicle to personally express our love to Jesus Christ. Right? And that goes both ways. Not only with the, the worship team up here. It's not about them. It's not about strutting their stuff. We'll get to see another skit here in just a second. But it's also us as we sit in the pews. Right? It's not about a time to bring attention to us. It's about singing a love song through the music, whatever the style, individually. A heart response to Jesus Christ. Okay, and I think sometimes we've lost that because we have forgotten that God is personal, that He's right here with us, that we have an intimacy with God that nobody else on the planet has. And that's why I truly believe if we understand this aspect of singing that God is intimate, the first way we will not sing to Him is what I call a source of entertainment. That's right, Ken, get back up here. You're earning your paycheck this week. And uh, Ken's gonna give us some illustrations, him and his wife, uh, Jess, and to give it up for them. All right. And uh, he's going to help illustrate the foolishness of doing this in our relationship with God, right? That there's supposed to be a love song to Jesus, okay? And to bring out that relationship with God, we're gonna, he's going to sing a supposed love song to Jess, okay? Uh, it's supposed to be about her, supposed to be for her. Oh, no. 
And, uh, <laughs> okay. and, but he's going to do it with this source of entertainment style. And you tell me if this is going to go over well uh, with his wife. Let's take a look at uh, a source of entertainment. Gave my love a chicken <laughs> that had no bone. I gave my love a cherry that had no <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, give it up for Kelvis. He's back. Uh, but anyway, wow. That was, that was, that was, was that kind of goofy or what? And I'm not talking just the wig and the shades there. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what's the whole purpose? I mean, he's supposed to be singing a love song to his wife, but was it from the heart? No. What was he doing? Right? He was, it's all about himself. He was drawing attention to him, right? And folks, how many times do we do this with God? We're supposed to hear, it's supposed to be a love song to Jesus, between us and Jesus. And frankly, sometimes you look at some worship teams and it's just all about this. It's like, no, you're not here for that. This is not a source of entertainment. You're not some Christian rock band. You're to provide an atmosphere that's conducive for the rest of the church to worship Jesus through song. And, and flip it around. It's not just a worship team can do that. We can do that too, right? It's, it's not a time to bring it up 8,000 octaves. It's like, okay, Whatever, I'm not saying you don't have a good voice, but come on, really? What are you doing this for? It's supposed to be a private thing between you and Jesus. It's not that you can't get a little bit loud. It's, it's from the heart, but I think sometimes we think it's a source of entertainment, okay? We've forgotten that God's right here. Oh, by the way, he, he's watching this the whole time. Isn't that funny? Second way that you will not sing to God, I believe, okay, is as a source of ritual, Okay? And so once again, Ken's going to help us out. What if he were to sing a so-called love song to his wife, Jess, in a ritualistic manner? How would this go over with her? Let's take a look at that. I'm so in love with you. I can hardly contain my joy. You make me feel like dancing. I'm going to dance the night away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, wow. Oh, yes, right. Woo, right. All right, I'll give him credit. He's singing. He had the right words anyway, right? But what was the problem with his uh, so-called love song there? No heart, right? What our text say? From the heart. He's just going through the motions. It's a boring ritual. Oh boy, you know where I'm going with this one. Where's where's a bulletin? Bobby, give me a bulletin. You got a bulletin there? How many times are we doing this? We're sitting out there in the pew, and it's like time to sing a love song to Jesus. Woo! I love you, Lord. What's that? Somebody posted on Facebook. Let me break up my phone. What's what's going? We're just going through the motions. Oh, it's time, apparently time to stand up. Okay, I, just, I say the words. Where's your heart? Where's your focus? And the whole time, who's watching this? God. 
Have we forgotten that he's intimate, he's personal? Okay, but that's not the third way. I've noticed this trend in the church too, that we will not sing to God. If we understand, folks, that he's with us wherever we go, you are not going to sing as a source of manipulation. Okay, one more time, Ken's going to sing a so-called love song to Jess, his wife, as a source of manipulation. You tell me how this goes over. Let's take a look at this one. Oh, Jess, please come near to me. Please, won't you come to me again? Won't you show me your presence? I'm so lonely without you. If only you could be here, here with me now. Come here to me now. Hey, give it up for the Kid and Jess show. And uh, <laughs> as we take a look there. But uh, what was the problem with that one? You might pick up what was going on, the, the subtle verbiage there that he was doing. Okay, he's supposed to be singing a love song. It's better. At least it wasn't going through the rituals, right? It wasn't just uh, without emotion. It wasn't all about himself. He seemed to at least kind of get into it. But what was the mistake there? He was singing to her, okay, about her as if she wasn't there. Now, folks, have we listened to sometimes our own worship music, right? We got sometimes, I think, good music, but uh, it's bad theology, Okay, have you paid attention to this? Okay, uh, for instance, let me give you a couple of uh, titles. Okay, we sing a song. You know, have you ever heard that song? I just want to be where you are. That classic contemporary song. Oh, another one, a, a hymn. Uh, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. Now, wait a second. I mean, is anybody not paying attention to the lyrics there? I mean, don't those lyrics by very nature assume that God is not with us? Let's break this down. For instance, if I said the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place, then I, am I not implying that at some point he left and I'm inviting him to return? When did he leave? God is omnipresent. He's with us wherever we go. Okay. And if I would sing to God, I want to be where you are when the whole time he's already there, he's watching this. Can you imagine? He was just like, hello. Like, Jess is, I'm, what are you doing? I'm here. And I think sometimes we get so backwards that we even think that if we do our music in a certain way, with a certain emotion, with a certain style, that we're like Indians doing a rain dance. And if we keep it up long enough, and then God will show up on the scene again. It's like, when did he ever leave? God is intimate. He's personal. He's with us wherever we go. We do not sing to manipulate him, so to speak, to be near us when the whole time he's there. It's crazy. Now, here's the point. Have we forgotten not only that God's with us, but folks, when we put all this together... And you do what the scripture says to do. When you do sing from the heart, when it's really about Jesus and you're not going through some boring ritual and you're not distracted with other things, when was the last time you really sang a love song to Jesus from the heart? And maybe sometimes that's why we leave still with troubled hearts because we're just going through the motion. And God has given us the gift of music as a vehicle to worship him. And sing our hearts out in adoration and praise. When was the last time you sang like this? We've seen this before a while back. It's a little on the longer side, but I have yet to find a more appropriate demonstration of true worship to Jesus Christ. How many of you like Negro spirituals? An old black lady down south showed me something about the Negro spirituals, and I want to share it with you. Uh, you know, the black folk down south had more sense by accident than some of us have on purpose, you know what I mean? You didn't hear what I said. 
heard an old black lady say, son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Uh-huh. Think about that for a minute. But did you know, she said to me, did you know all, just about all Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano? This is absolutely true. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual, just play the black notes on the piano. You look skeptical. Now, you can't see it out there, but I want you to watch. Watch. There are five black notes on the piano. And those same five black notes just keep recurring. And you can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual, just play the black notes. Watch. You know that? Every time I feel the spirit, just black notes. Watch this. That's because the slaves didn't come to America with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's somebody else's skit, okay? All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it in music as the pentatonic scale. And they built the power and pathos of the Negro spiritual on five notes. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirituals. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those, that scale. In early America, they used to call this the slave scale. And I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just the black notes. Anybody tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant and wrote the words, amazing grace, and set his words to a slave. Melody. I looked up that song. I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written, just so that we would be reminded that as Christians, whether black or white, free or bond, in his eyes, we're all connected. We are connected. And we are connected by God's amazing grace. We are connected by God's amazing grace. Woo! 
I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song, and wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton, melody unknown. I tell the Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but boy, I want to meet that slave called unknown. <laughs> And, I, and I, I, I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship. Listen.
When was the last time we sang like that to Jesus? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking from a talent perspective. I'm talking from the heart. I mean, isn't that how it should always be after all he's done for us? I mean, his amazing grace, right? I, I realize that my voice, when I sing to God, it's probably a cross between a squirrel getting run over and somebody smashing a cat. I, I get that. <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> but when it's from the heart, don't you think the Father is well pleased? And don't you think that's what we're missing? I, I think you know, if we could sing like that, and again, not the talent perspective, from the heart, I wonder how many people would be getting saved right and left because they'd be blown away, coming into a spiritual dynamic like that, like, wow, these people love Jesus. Look at how they sing. And maybe that's what the world's waiting for. Christians who realize and not just say they have an intimate walk with Jesus, they sing it as well. Praying and singing, that's not the only thing that's going to change when we realize the intimacy of God. I think the other third obvious one is this. It's going to change how you walk with God. Okay, remember, he's with us wherever we go. Oops, should I really say that? But let's take a look at that. We're not the only ones, I think, unfortunately, who do this. Here's the example we see in Scripture uh, with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This always blows me away. Luke 24, 13 through 16. Now, that same day... Okay, two of them were going to a village uh, called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were you know, talking with each other about everything that happened, you know, Jesus and, and all that stuff. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, who showed up? Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine one day walking with Jesus? Literally a whole day? Oh, wow. But listen to what happened. But they were kept from recognizing him. Always blows me away with this passage. You think, but this really happened, okay? Jesus himself was actually walking right beside these two disciples for a period of time. Yet the point is they had no idea that God himself, God, was right there with him, okay? And here's the, folks, I think, unfortunately, the trend is we do the same thing, Christian. We do the same thing. We, I don't know, conveniently or what? We forget this truth about God's omnipresent, right? That he's right here with us. And because of that, we say and do things all the time in our walk with God. You know, it's a walk with God, right? Well, guess who's walking 24-7 with us? You go to sleep, guess who's there by the bed watching you? You get up, hey, nice to see you, right? He's with us wherever we go 24-7. He sees it all. Okay, now, th that's the problem. He's with us. We say we acknowledge he's omnipresent, but we say and do some things we probably shouldn't, right? And if we realize he's omnipresent, then we wouldn't say and do those things. Now, to help us out with that, that's right, one more skit. Give it up for the skit crew, uh, Ken and Jess, and this time, Mario and Janet. That's right. And uh, what they're going to help us to do is we're going to take a look at what is this behavior, you know? Uh, you act like somebody's not there, and you say and do some stuff when you probably shouldn't. In fact, you'd never say that when they were in front of you, okay? And hopefully this will draw out, unfortunately, what we do in our walk with G. Oh, we got weapons. And uh, so, uh, but uh, here's this. So, so basically, here's the premise, right? So Ken and Mario, they're going to have a conversation. Okay, you get it like right over here, right behind them. You got to get a good shot. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Ken and Jess are going, or Ken and Mario are going to have a, a conversation about the rise. But believe it or not, if you can believe this, they don't know their wives are right there behind them. 
And the wives have the liberty from me that if their husbands happen to say anything they don't like, they get to bop them on the head. So, all right, let's see how this one goes. Ready? Go. Hey, how you doing? Oh, not too good. Oh, no, let me guess. The old lady again, huh? Yeah, it's that old woman of mine. What did she do? What did she do this time? Did she make you eat chicken again? No, it's more evil than that. Oh, no. My goodness, don't tell me that she's making you go to one of those stupid Tupperware things. Yeah, how'd you guess? <laughs> because my old lady tried to make me go, uh, but I had to put my foot down. You know, I had to let her know. Who wears the pants in the family? <laughs> Who does she think she is? Huh. Women, you can't live with them, and you can't live without them. Actually, as the saying goes, women can't live with them, you can't live with them. <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, I do appreciate my wife. I mean, after all, she only dresses to kill, but she cooks that way, too. Oh, yeah? Well, my dr wife drives like a lightning bolt. Is that because she drives really fast? No, because she runs into trees. <laughs> well, I guess I gotta get going. Yeah, me too. I think I need to get some aspirin. For some reason, I got a headache. <laughs> All right. Nice job, guys. Awesome. Now, obviously, the whole point uh, with doing that is uh, if we actually did do that, have that conversation in front of our wives, man, uh, how long would our wives put up with it for a second? <laughs> it was an instant bonk, 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 and we'd have a big old headache. In fact, that would be the one of the craziest, dumbest things, with all due respect, we could ever do. Can you imagine that? Right in front of them. And you know where I'm going now. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, have we forgotten that God's with us wherever we go? When we say we have a walk with Jesus Christ, we're walking with Jesus Christ, how's our walk with Jesus Christ? He really is walking with us every day. Now, we say that, but when we take a look at what's coming out of our mouth, I think it's a different story, because would you really say and do what you just did when he's right there with us? acknowledging this aspect. This is not just, oh, that's a neat theological truth. When we understand the intimacy of God, the personalness of God, because he is omnipresent, it changes everything, like it did with this guy. There was a very successful doctor who, quote, had it all, at least what the world says you need to have. He had fame, he had money, he had nice things, he had the party life, he had all of it. But the stress of his vocation and the long hours he put in eventually led him to begin to drink. And what made matters worse was that every night his fellow doctors had a routine of going to a local bar and really boozing it up uh, before having to face another hectic day. Well, finally, this kind of living began to take its toll on him. And even though he had all the things that the world said would make you happy, he found himself absolutely miserable and all alone. And in the depth of his despair, the man actually cried out, true story, to God, right there on the floor, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, became saved. Well, the next day, instantaneously, the doctor, he was obviously, he was totally changed. He was no longer miserable, and the deep loneliness that had uh, been plaguing him had simply vanished. In fact, he found that money and fame wasn't a primary concern for him anymore, and for two weeks straight, he declined the nightly offer from his friends to go booze it up at the bars. And so finally, his non-Christian co-workers, they couldn't take it anymore, and so they asked him, what's up, man? What, what happened to you? What, what's with the sudden change? And that's when he told him it was, uh, he became a Christian. And so then the doctors began to taunt him, right? They said, oh, come on, Christian. 
We, we know how much you love to drink before, and there's no way you can give it up just like that. Why, you mean to tell me that if you came home from work one day totally stressed out, there was nobody around, nobody watched you, nobody could ever find out, no way they could find out, that you wouldn't have just one little drink for old time's sake? And that's when the Christian doctor replied. He says, well, see, that's where you got it wrong, guys. You see, since I became a Christian, I realized that I am never alone. I'm never alone. That man was never the same once he realized, hello, he's never alone. How about us? Or have we conveniently forgotten that truth? Do we not realize as a Christian, every word we say, every deed we do is done, listen, in front of God? Have we forgotten he's intimate? When you realize he's right there with you, that'll affect your walk just a wee bit. Amen? Okay, last one, the fourth thing it's going to affect, which kind of rolls into this, that uh, when you realize God is in, intimate, it's going to change your, if you will, loneliness. He, talk about a blessed promise from God. You are never, ever lonely as a Christian. I didn't say that. This is a promise from Jesus himself, Matthew 28, verse 20. And be sure of this, Jesus speaking. Now, notice he didn't say maybe, might. He said what? Be sure of this. If you want to get something straight, get this one straight. This is right before he goes to the right hand of the Father. He's leaving his disciples. He just gave the great commission. Get out, not the grand suggestion. Get out there and share the gospel and be sure of this. But Jesus, you're leaving us. Mm -mm. He's omnipresent. I am with you how long? Always. Even, in case you don't get that point, to the end of the age. Folks, this is an amazing verse. Jesus makes an incredible promise. Listen, he's not only giving us a, a mandate, a mission. We get to share the gospel with the lost, and they can have what we have, an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. But, oh, by the way, you're never alone. In fact, I'm not just going to come to you on the weekends, not just once in a while, not a, a week here, a week there, whatever, and i got other stuff to do. Jesus said, I will be with you always. How long is always? forever okay and this should not only comfort our hearts but folks talk about a privilege to be able to share with the world we don't have some dry stale man-made boring dumb religion with jesus christ we got a personal intimate relationship with him we, we get to walk every day with the creator of the universe and for a christian you are never alone you should never be lonely because god is god not sufficient and this is a great opportunity for us to be able to connect with our world. Right now, listen to this. Experts are saying we are experiencing in our world a societal epidemic of loneliness. Usually it doesn't get talked about much. Loneliness. It's spiraling out of control, they're saying. Whether it's due to death or divorce or decaying marriages, our society, they said, is filled with loneliness more than ever before. And to make matters worse, all of our so-called advances in society and all these technological gadgets that's supposed to fill that hole is actually making it worse. Listen to this. In this age of communication, we can send email around the world. We could visit somebody in another country on Skype or a chat room. We can see world events live without ever leaving our living room. But now our interpersonal contact has diminished. We're spending our time with impersonal machines rather than people. And the age of technology has promised more free time. But what has happened is we spend less time in building relationships and more time invested in using these impersonal conveniences like TVs and computers and cell phones and tablets and you name it. Medical advancement has increased the length of life, but in spite of longer lives, we find less meaning in it. And even with all of our advances, never before has a generation, listen, lived on so many antacids and antidepressants in an effort to calm their troubled spirits. 
And the media has now presented so many unrealistic expectations in life that most people are feeling cheated, unsatisfied, and downright lonely. And that's a horrible place to be. Folks, think about it. Flip it around. Think about the awesome message that we have the privilege to share with our lonely world. It's not just you can get saved. Praise God for that. Anybody glad you're not going to hell? Yay. Yeah. But what's the promise from Jesus? That when you get saved, it's not just you're on your way to heaven and escaping from hell purely as an act of goodness and gracious and mercy from him. But he's now with you always. He he indwells you by his spirit. He's omnipresent. He's with you wherever you go. And we get to walk in this beautiful, loving, personal relationship every single day. You never, ever, ever have to be alone again. Why? Because God is intimate. He is personal. And you might think, well, does does this really help alleviate the hearts and the suffering, the, the pain of people worldwide? Yeah. You tell me if not paying attention to your immediate surroundings, if it doesn't save you from a lot of wasted time and wasted energy. Watch this. There was a wealthy merchant on a long journey who was carrying with him his most valuable jewels, big old bag full of jewels. And along the way, another traveler befriending him, right, making it look like a chance meeting, but he really planned on ripping them off, stealing the guy's jewels. And at the end of the day, when they arrived at a local inn, they shared a room together, and each night the men would wash up before they went to bed, right? Now, the merchant was somewhat suspicious of his newfound friend's real motive, so he devised a scheme to safeguard his valuables. Listen, before they turned in for the night, he offered the thief, uh, why don't you go wash up first? And as soon as the thief led the room, listen, the rich man would take his bag full of jewels and hide them under the thief's pillow. And sure enough, when it was the rich man's turn to go wash up, right, the thief would plunge through the rich man's belongings, feverishly looking everywhere for the jewels, uh, but to no avail, obviously. And so night after night, the thief uh, would lay his sleepless head on the pillow, angry that he couldn't locate the treasure. Finally, as it came time to part, and they were saying their goodbyes, the rich man informed the thief that he had been aware of his motives the whole time. And then came the horrible revelation. The rich man said this, you poured all your energies into looking everywhere except under your own pillow. Listen, the wealth was much nearer to you than you ever realized. And I think of that, and I think of what we studied today. The wealth The greatest treasure of all, Jesus Christ, is much nearer than I think we realize. He's right here with us. You can't get any closer than that. And how often we're looking, even as Christians, we look and do the same thing as the world. We're off over here. Oh, no, maybe this will give me peace. Or no, no, let's get it. Help me with my loneliness. No, it's over here. When the whole time, just like Jess with Ken's, hello. I'm right here, maybe not under your pillow, but hello. The greatest treasure of all, Jesus Christ, is right here with us. The wealth is much nearer than you could ever realize. And to me, folks, I think we're missing a golden opportunity. This is the message we get to declare to the nations, that God is not afar off when you get saved, hidden in some ivory castle. He is intimate. He not only exists, but through Jesus Christ, anyone and all, no matter what you've done, can have this same thing that we have that I think we take for granted, a personal, intimate relationship with God. But I'm telling you, Christian, if the world is ever going to believe our message, we have to back it up, not just with our lips, we have to back it up with our lives. And that they see, wow, that is different than any other religion on the planet. 
Why? Because we're treating it for what it is, a relationship. And how we sing, and how we pray, and how we walk. And that, you know what? If I'm all alone on a desert island, I'm okay. Because Jesus is with me always, and he's all that I need. And when the world sees us living lives like that Christian, they come flocking to Jesus because they can't find anything because he's the only answer. We need to live lives that show them, if you got Jesus, you can have this stinking world. If you got Jesus, you got all you need. We'll close in prayer after this. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have all this world But give me Jesus And when I
stinking world. You can have all that money. You can have all that fame. You can have that power. You can have that prestige. You can have all that entertainment. But I'll take Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can fill that hole in our heart. He's the only one that can satisfy. And Christian, when we live lives that demonstrate that as a song to this world. I really think that's what they're waiting to see. Let's get back to being that church that not just says we know God is intimate, but let's live it and show them what they're missing out on. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal, okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars, okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain, Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, 
wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it 
by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.